Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, September 15th, 2021. Today will be better than yesterday, and today in baseball is Roberta Clemente Day. Taylor Schwenk is producing from the foothills of Connecticut. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. Let's get to it. Dodgers, Diamondbacks, last night on Monday night, the Giants clinched the playoff spot. Yesterday is the Dodgers. Jansen. Set on the hill, the right-handers 2-2 pitch. Swung out, hit down to third, gloved by Justin Turner. Sets his feet, throws to first, that's the ball game. And the Dodgers put another W in the back. 93 wins for the Dodgers. They clinch a playoff spot officially. So the Dodgers are heading to the postseason. Jim Nebert, AM570 LA Sports. Uh, it was about 10 days ago when I asked Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, you know, how much he was focused on winning the division. He kind of blinked and looked at me. He said, I haven't thought about it at all because it was too far away. Well, now it's not. Now down the stretch, both these teams in the postseason, the battle's going to be for the National League West down the stretch. The Mets, the Cardinals in the National League wildcard race. And Javi Baez tied the game at the bottom of the ninth. Diego's ready, first pitch. Swing and a high fly to left off the bat of Baez. This is headed toward the wall. O'Neill leaps. It's gone. A home run. Javier Baez has tied the game on the first pitch in the bottom of the ninth. Baez brings it back to even. It's 4-4 here in the bottom of the ninth. I love former manager Terry Collins in the background going nuts. As the analyst in that broadcast, Wayne Rodazzo on WCBS with that call. So you thought, okay, Mets tied the game at the bottom of the ninth inning. They have all the momentum going forward. No. Top of the 11th. The pitch to Kesner. A swing and a base hit to center field. That's going to score Rondon. It's going to score Sosa. The Cardinals have a three-run 11th and lead 7-4. to four. And I smell the coffee brewing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cardinals win that game 7-6. to six. That was John Rooney on the Cardinals radio network. The Phillies face the Cubs. And in the bottom of the fifth inning, the Phillies had a lead. Drilled in the air out towards center field, and you could forget it. Way back and gone. Patrick Wisdom, number 26. And he ties the Cubs' single-season rookie mark. Yeah, that was a great boot, Shambi. On the marquee network, the Phillies lose this game to the Cubs. At the end of the day, the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies all lose in the National League East. And at this point, that's a win for the Braves because they're in first place. The Cardinals, at the end of the day, led the race for the second wild card in the National League. By the way, I hope tonight you get to see part two of the documentary on the 1986 Mets. Once Upon a Time in Queens, I've told you I've seen this. It's fantastic. The film will be available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately after its premiere. Some other news and notes. Outfielder Ryan Braun announced his retirement formally. He hadn't played this season after not being re-signed by the Brewers in the offseason. I'm going to be talking with Dave Schoenfield about Braun's legacy moving forward. The 2023 All-Star Game will be in Seattle the American League West leading Houston Astros put Jake Odorizzi on the 10-day injured list Tuesday with right foot soreness. 
from a play when he covered first base over the weekend. The Royals promoted general manager Dayton Moore to president of baseball operations and elevated longtime assistant GM J.J. Piccolo to the role of general manager. That's a long time coming for J.J. The Rays faced the Blue Jays. Blue Jays red hot and Tampa Bay slowed them down. And here is Lau, the first one. Fly ball deep in the air to right field. Way up there. Hernandez to the bullpens. Gone! A homer by Brandon Lau, and it's 2-0 Rays in the eighth. That from 620 WDA. Meanwhile, the Rays pitching staff held the Jays to just three hits in this game in a 2-0 shutout. The Yankees were in Camden Yards last night, and they took care of business. 2-0. High fly ball, deep right field. Going back is Santander. See ya! A home run for Stanton. A two-run blast. And the Yankees lead 4-0. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. The Yankees win that game 7-2. The Red Sox in Seattle. And boy, they needed some help. And we talked about how on Monday, Kyle Schwarber's defense contributed to a, a game-losing rally for Boston. Well, last night, we saw the other side of Schwarber. Three and two to Schwarber, and here it comes. Swing and a line drive into the alley. Here comes Xander Bogarts in to score. Raphael Devers right behind him, and the Red Sox are in front. Here comes another run. Throw to the plate. It gets away, and Shaw scores. And all the way down to third is Kyle Schwarber. Yep, and the Red Sox would win this game. At the end of the day, the Yankees, Red Sox, and Blue Jays in a virtual little tie for the two American League wildcard spots. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, really quickly here, as the NFL season gets underway, make sure you're ready for kickoff with TuneIn, the app that lets you listen to live games, in-depth analysis, and tailored content for your team all season long. Plus, with ESPN Radio on TuneIn, you can listen to comprehensive football coverage from NFL Live, Fantasy Focus, Football, and more, all to fuel your football fandom. Download the TuneIn app today and start listening everywhere you go. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing this week? I'm good, Buster. I, uh, I enjoyed the first two parts of the Mets documentary last night. I watched it with my wife, who her family grew up Mets fans. So as she told me, this brings me back to my childhood and her beloved Lenny Dykstra, her favorite player back when she was 10 years old. (laughs) 
Uh, and I, I want to get to that in a second. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Today's Roberto Clemente Day. OK, um, and I told this story, you know, I, I, Roberta Clemente was a star just as I started to become aware of, uh, of baseball. I was eight years old when he got career hit number 3000. I'll never forget. Uh, we got a back page. I think it was the New York Daily News. My mom got up in Vermont on Sunday. And I can remember the picture of Clemente after getting career hit number 3000. And as it turned out, that was the last hit of his career because that uh, that winter, uh, he on New Year's Eve, he died. He was killed in that plane uh, plane crash just off of San Juan. Uh, and I remember that radio, uh, the news coming across the radio that day and just being really sad about that. Give me a Roberto Clemente memory for you. Yeah, I mean, he was before my time, so my memories are just tied to, you know, the few videos of him playing. If you go on to YouTube, you know, they're there. There's a throw. I think it's from the 71 World Series where you, you see him displaying his famous arm, throwing somebody out from the deep right field corner. Um, he, he was just an amazing player. He's a front foot hitter, you know, which you don't see that anymore. He would he would be told to change his batting style in today's game, probably go for more home runs. But I think he won four batting titles, you know, best defensive right fielder of all time, the 3000 hits, just a, an amazing all around ball player. Yeah. The guy that throw you reference, um, the guy sliding into third base was Merv Rettmund. Yeah. Who <laughs> years later would be the hitting coach of the San Diego Padres when I covered that team. And I asked Merv about that throw and he talked about the utter surprise of going into third base going, oh, my God, like it's going to be close. And in the end, Merv was safe, you know, that famous throw uh, that Clemente made. But he was just so blown away uh, by the power of his arm. All right. The 86 Mets documentary. I loved it. Uh, You know, and and I especially love even years after the fact, the raw nature of that team. Like to this day, as I asked Daryl Strawberry, like, Guys don't like each other still on that team. And we're decades past that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, of course, Lenny Dykstra, depending on whether you were watching on ESPN or ESPN2, you heard him uh, with the bleeps or without the bleeps. Uh, He's the same old Dykstra that uh, obviously has also gotten into a lot of trouble in recent years. So he's kind of the star of the show in a lot of ways. But yeah. The thing that really caught me was Gary Carter, the late Gary Carter, simultaneously beloved by his teammates for his toughness, playing through his knee injuries, yet here they are still kind of making fun of him because Gary Carter was a straight-laced guy. They're all out there partying all night long, and Carter would go back to his hotel room. And uh, so that part, their, their views of Carter – not afraid to sort of dig into him, even, you know, with him being long past is uh, was kind of funny. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I think that over time they gained an appreciation for him because they, they yeah. knew as they got to know him that he was authentic. Uh, yep. You remember Nick Swisher uh, when he played, he would always have that grin on his face and he'd always be saying something. Uh, and he drove players crazy. Like other players didn't like him. And then I was asked about him once by a, a guy on another team. Hey, what's Swish really like? And I, and I said this to the player. I was like, that's how Nick is 24 hours a day. Like, it's yep. not like he turns it on and he turns it off. That's his personality all the time. And that I think with Gary Carter, I think that's what the Mets realized. Look, that glass half full, 
uh, aspect to him, that super positivity that they would see him on television, which from afar felt plastic to them. They realized, no, that that's how he goes about his day. Yeah, Keith Hernandez had a great quote saying when they played against him before he came to the Mets, they he said he was disliked. The entire league did not like this guy. But then after he came over to the Mets and they played together, Keith says, I realized he was all about winning, and that's all we cared about. Exactly. So we got part two tonight. I would encourage everybody to uh, to watch the 86 Mets documentary. It's absolutely terrific. I want to ask you about the National League wildcard race. Uh, I don't know whether we should describe it as terrific or not because <laughs> of how these teams are playing. Uh, Bill Chuck sent me these notes. Since August 17th in the National League wildcard race, the Cardinals are 14 and 13, 519 winning percentage. They're the only one of the five teams over 500, Dave. The Mets are 12 and 15. The Phillies are 11 and 15. The Reds are 10 and 15. And of course, the Padres have collapsed in recent weeks. They have a tough schedule down the stretch. They're 7 and 16. What do you make of the National League wildcard race for that second spot? Yeah, watching that game last night. So, yeah, four wins in a row now for St. Louis, which is like a huge streak in this race. I remember going on St. Louis radio. Wasn't that long ago, maybe even just two weeks, maybe three weeks ago. And the hosts there were just lamenting on what a miserable, awful season and boring season this has been for the Cardinals, who, of course, always have high expectations. And I've been telling my editors, and I said this on the radio show, watch out for the Cardinals because this is just going to be maybe a typical St. Louis season where they muddle through then they come together right at the end. And this is what happened, Buster. You remember this, 2011, mediocre all year. They put it together in September. They make the playoffs on the final day of the season, and they go on to win the World Series. Now, I don't think this Cardinals team has the ability to win the World Series, but I think they're going to win that second wild card. Uh, And I was thinking as you started that, I thought you were going to also mention 2005, uh, yeah, because I remember that year uh, or no, 2006, 2006. I'm sorry. That year at the end of the regular season, they were terrible yep. and they crawled into the postseason. And I, I was at a baggage claim and I bumped into a scout and I said, hey, uh, you know, what have you been doing? Who you've been covering? He goes, oh, I had the Cardinals. They won't win a game in the postseason. They're terrible. Well, they won the World Series. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's right. Maybe we should all, all change our World Series picks to the Cardinals, huh? Right, exactly. Uh, but I, I still think in the end that the, the, the weak schedule is going to manifest for the Cincinnati Reds. Two more series against Pittsburgh. I know they got a series uh, against the Dodgers, but they also have four games against Washington. I think they're, they find their way into that second spot. Who would you pick? Yeah, I, I think I'd pick the Cardinals. It sounds like we can agree on one thing, which is the Padres are dead. You know, just all the pitching injuries. Darvish can't get anybody out. Um, the offense isn't scoring enough runs. Just the, uh, it, in the end, it looks like it's going to be a very, very disappointing season for San Diego. All right. Uh, an article was posted on ESPN.com this morning. Uh, I haven't read it yet. Uh, you you are uh, one of the authors of it, co-authors of it, you and Bradford Doolittle. <laughs> uh, and one of the headlines was, uh, could Otani lose the American League MVP? And I did a double take. Because I've been saying on the podcast, nope, done deal. Otani's value is too high. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as great as he is, the best hitter in baseball right now, arguably either he or Juan Soto, uh, he can't win. But then I saw that. I was like, man, did Dave did Dave find something? <laughs> so 
They might be referring to something I wrote. I would like to tell all our viewers, I did not write the headline. <laughs> all I wrote was, yeah, the Otani freight train has slowed down a little the last 30 days, but I think he's still going to be the landslide winner. Now, maybe Guerrero now gets a couple first place votes, you know, especially with the surge of the Blue Jays looking like a playoff team now. You know, he has a chance at the Triple Crown. I still think the total package for Otani makes him the clear leader in the race, and I think he still gets it. Plus, Guerrero and Marcus Simeon may end up splitting votes. You know, they're probably two and three in the MVP race and their teammates, you know, so that could work against if they had a realistic chance, which I don't think they do. But yeah, so everyone, I still think Otani's the MVP. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think what Joe Madden said earlier this year is right, that it's not close um, in terms of overall production. I think the unprecedented nature of the year um, as Madden said, we might not see a year like this from any player for another hundred years, uh, yep. given how amazing it is. All right. Elizabeth Hart uh, tweeted at us and she has lots of talk about Cy Young candidates, but not so much lately about rookie of the years. Does Alec Manoa have it nailed down for the American league? Dave, give me your read on the rookie of the year races. Nailed it down. I don't know about that. I mean, he certainly has uh, been a huge lift for that rotation, but I know, Historically, pitchers, rookie pitchers who kind of have a partial season, even if they're really, really good, do not fare well in the MVP voting. So I don't think he has any chance. I think the guy with a partial season that'll be interesting is Wander Franco, who has only what 62 games, has that 39 game on base streak. You know, he might not play again until the playoffs, though. I wonder if he has a chance to win, even despite playing so few games. The only guy in history who kind of would mirror that is Willie McCovey, who won way back in 1959 and only 59 games. So Manoa, no chance. Franco, maybe. Uh, What about the National League? Yeah, National League, it looks like with Trevor Rogers, who was kind of the favorite most of the season, but they've really shut him down. Um, with his innings in Miami. So I think Jonathan India, 380 on base, you know, some 20 home runs, a lot of doubles. I think he's the clear leader in the NL. Yep. I agree with you on that. And I want to ask you about Ryan Braun. Uh, the, the Brewers formally announced his retirement yesterday, or he announced it through the Milwaukee Brewers. And I got to say this, because I, I think of Ryan Braun as being uh, like the Lance Armstrong of, of baseball. Uh, not only did he use PDs, but he also attacked people, Leading up to that, most notably, right. uh, the the sample collector specifically went after him uh, publicly, accused him of being anti-Semitic. Uh, he called other players uh, when uh, he was a first uh, when he you know first had the first positive drug test. He told them, "Look, this uh, this collector was coming after me. He's an anti-Semite," uh, and I thought it was just despicable. Uh, and so I give Mark Adnazio, the owner of the Brewers. Credit for his loyalty to Braun. I can say this. He's a better person than I am, uh, given that if I were Mark Adnazio after Braun lied about you being a PD user and then accepted a 60-game suspension, or what was it, a half-year suspension, right. um, I, I, I would have never forgiven him after giving him that huge contract, but Mark Adnazio did. No, and from afar, that's my viewpoint, too. I can't get past it. He tried to destroy somebody's life. Yep. And he lied. You know, that was, he gave that speech in February of 2012. 
Um, it wasn't until 2013 that uh, he finally got caught up in the biogenesis, you know, investigation and got his suspension. I get it in Milwaukee. They, the fans there forgave him, gave him standing ovations, you know, and on the field, he's the third greatest brewer of all time, you know, behind Robin Yount and Paul Moliner. But for me, I just can't get past his initial reaction, his denial, his lies and, you know, great player, no doubt, 30-30, MVP, all that. But, you know, I think I would hope he looks back and wishes he had done it all differently. Yeah, and, and here's my question. I mean, based on uh, what we saw at the initial part, if he hadn't gotten caught up in the biogenesis swirl where more evidence came out on him, I don't think he would ever apologize for that. I think he would have gone on like nothing happened. What about you? Yeah, no, because remember, his initial 50-game suspension – he appealed and he won that, you know, he won that right. appeal. So that's when he gave his, you know, Oscar winning speech there at spring training in 2012. So yeah, he almost got away with it. And so I'm with you, you know, it complicated legacy. Um, he's the one that's got to live with it. Yep. And it, uh, again, I, I, I respect Mark Adnazio's loyalty, um, you know, and he's, he, he, he certainly handled it in a way that I don't think I ever could have. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. All right. Thanks, Buster. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul Mikitis is Hembo, a researcher at ESPN who has told us he's a honcho on the show. Get up. I hear him a lot more. Hembo, I hear you a lot more now on Mike Greenberg's radio show. Um. We went through this. I mean, you this you are like, I mean, they should just give you a co-hosting role. You know, you well, I mean, this is where Golik once was. <laughs> I'm just doing Golik badly. Like I'm doing like the like the like the like this week we did like, what am I getting my way for my anniversary? And like this dead giraffe in Louisiana, like I'm feeling I'm, I'm occupying that role, just not nearly as well as he did. But thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy listening every day. All right. Uh, so I was on KJZ this morning and we were talking about Max Scherzer. And the question is. Is he the greatest potentially trade deadline acquisition ever? Go. I think the answer to that question is going to be yes, but I don't think we can answer it fully, of course, until we make it through October because he's going to have some incredibly high leverage opportunities in that month. I think really cement his legacy and give the Dodgers a chance to win the World Series. Right now, they're the favorite in Vegas, even though they're not even the favorite to win their own division right now, which is sort of a weird dynamic. But when you consider where they were at the time of the trade – you, you consider what has happened in the you know the Trevor Bauer saga, if you will, since then, the the dominance that he has demonstrated for a team that actually did need him, like you said at the time, 
has really been something extraordinary. <laughs> when you also consider the fact that they netted Trey Turner in that deal as well, it's going to go down as one of the all-time great deals. But of course, what Scherzer's done this year, I mean, his ERA is under one since he got there. He's been utterly ridiculous. And there's no obvious reason for me to believe that he won't be that way in October. I mean, he's been a, a good postseason pitcher. But I think right now, like his stuff is playing up as much as it ever has. Eight starts, 51 innings, 72 strikeouts, five earned runs. Eight starts, <laughs> five earned runs for Max Scherzer. And by the way, there's really good competition for that uh, title of the best trade deadline acquisition ever, the best, uh, you know, hired gun, Rick Sutcliffe. 16 and mm-hmm. one for the Cubs in 1984 after he went from Cleveland to the Cubs, a 269 ERA. David Cohn, I think, was uh, we think of as one of the original hired guns. He did it twice in 1992, went to Toronto, uh, 1995, traded from Kansas City to the Yankees. He was great. Manny Ramirez was unbelievable mm-hmm. when he went uh, from Boston to the Dodgers in 2008. But I have a hard time including him in the conversation because we know after the fact, he was completely jacked up with roids down the stretch. <laughs> and also, part of me, too, like, you know, I mean, he was trying to get a contract extension. If you remember that year, he sabotaged his last days with the Red Sox, like not trying, taking cold strikes, not running out ground balls, uh, off-field stuff that was going on with him. Uh, so I have a hard time anointing him there, although the production was unbelievable. That's fair and safe to say. To me, like Scherzer's Dodgers legacy this year, if you will, is what happens next month because they've known that they're going to be a playoff team for as long as the season has been. But they, in the absence of Trevor Bauer, he's going to need to be their one. Like he's going to need to be their one in the postseason. Walker Bueller's been great. I have sort of curious Rick Sutcliffe, whom you mentioned, is the only one of those guys who won a Cy Young Award pitching for multiple teams in a season. Scherzer has gone from being sort of an afterthought there over the last month, in my judgment, to being right up there with my boy Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, and Walker Bueller. All right. Now you sent me a note overnight. Max Scherzer's actually underrated historically. What do you mean? Yeah, I'm going to try to convince you of that. So it is my opinion, Buster, that his greatness has been overshadowed in some sense because he has pitched concurrently with Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw. And thus, it is my belief that he is historically underrated. Um, Among the 19 members of the 3000 strikeout club, he ranks first in strikeout to walk rate, first in career strikeout rate, third in opponent average, and third in whoop. Again, out of 19 guys, first, first, third, third. Secondly, he's the only pitcher to own the highest career win percentage for multiple franchises, Buster. He he holds those distinctions for the Tigers and the Nationals, the highest win percentage in the history of each of those organizations among starting pitchers. And lastly, this is my favorite note, just to show how just how incredibly hard he is to hit. He is on pace to record twice as many strikeouts as hits allowed for the third time in the last five years. Buster, no other pitcher in the history of baseball has done that in a season more than once. I hear you and I agree with you, but you can't tell me that he's underrated because I said last week when uh, after Derek Jeter said what he said, taking a shot at the one person who didn't vote for him uh, in his <laughs> Hall of Fame speech, I think Scherzer is one of four current players who, are, who should be unanimous selections. Yes, you agree with that? And did you like what Jeter did? I like that he put somebody on notice. I liked that. That's their cheater. Like that's, he was himself in that, in that speech. Like the, the fact that he called that guy out, called that person out and also sort of acknowledged like all of those things that you guys have said about me over the years, I carry those with me. Like those guys motivate themselves differently. That's why they're so great. Scherzer of course is an inner circle hall of famer, but I don't, 
like in my world at least, he has always been behind Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander, at least amongst a lot of the people that I talk to. And and and, and, and for and for a while, that's been the case for me as well. But the fact that you know Verlander's been uh, on the sidelines this year, and the fact that Kershaw has been you know on the injured list a bunch, how well Max Scherzer has pitched, I think this year goes a long way in cementing his all-time greatness. Yeah. It, absolutely phenomenal. All right. His teammate, Cody Bellinger, this year, not phenomenal. What do you got on him? <laughs> yeah, I sent you this email yesterday, Buster. I picked and chose picked and choose the things I like best. First of all, it's almost impossible to overstate just how badly he's played this year, at least at the plate. There are 235 hitters with at least 300 plate appearances. He ranks 234th out of those 235 hitters in weighted runs created plus. He's been legitimately one of the worst hitters in baseball among regulars. And there are three ways I think we can sort of demonstrate or illustrate why he's been so bad. First of all, he's totally lost his ability to drive the baseball to the big part of the field. He had 42 extra base hits his MVP season when going gap to gap. He has nine this year and nine last year. So 18 total in two seasons since. Secondly, he consistently gets beaten by premium velocity buster. He is 5450. 5450 in at bats ending on pitches at least 95 miles per hour. And three, he's just an automatic out without a platoon advantage. Bellinger owns an OPS of 3 an OPS of 377 wow. against left-handed pitching this season. That number was 982 when he won the MVP award in 2019. This is intriguing, this note, why the Yankees and Red Sox won't win their division anytime soon. All right, let's see if I can sell you on this one, too, and I can live up to the teeth. So a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I extolled the player development machine that the Rays have created and described how well they have built it, you know, that sort of behemoth through the minor leagues, and obviously that's yielding results in the big leagues as we speak. Today, I have to acknowledge the breakout season the Blue Jays are having at the plate. So right now, Toronto owns the best OPS in baseball at 799. Toronto also owns the youngest lineup in baseball with an average age of 26.7. Buster, the last time baseball's best lineup was also its youngest lineup was actually the Blue Jays themselves in 1990. Now that team missed the playoffs, but that team reached the ALCS the next year and won the next two World Series. And it would not surprise me at all if this team's immediate future yielded that kind of success. So what I'm telling you is that both the Rays and the Blue Jays have lapped the Yankees and the Red Sox. Not only do the standings demonstrate that right now, but I think in the immediate future, you'll see those guys even distance distance themselves further from the Yankees and Red Sox who are sort of, I think, stuck in the mud as it relates to developing young players. I would disagree with you in terms of committing to that because if uh, we got to next spring and we heard that the Yankees had a $300 million payroll, that wouldn't surprise me. I get the feeling oh, yeah? this offseason the Yankees are going to be like, and, and, and the, you know, it's a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing, pulling on my shirt. It's like they are going to stick their elbows out and flex their huh. muscles. Once the CBA is agreed to, it's going to be like 2008, 2009 perhaps where the Yankees are just going to be like, oh, that, that guy's a great player. We, we're going to sign him. We're going to sign him. We're going to sign him. So I think the Yankees next spring will look very different. Do you think that over the next three weeks, anything about the Yankees next three years will change? Or just to say, if they somehow miss the playoffs, Buster, versus if they reach the wild card game, versus if they win the wild card game, like, do you think, that's, do you think what you just described is on the table no matter what happens? Or do you think they essentially have this chance to save their future here over the next three weeks? 
Nah, no, I think that the changes that are coming for the Yankees, we, we've already seen them start, right? They've told hmm. us, yep, okay, we agree. Glaber Torres stinks. He's not a shortstop anymore. Um, I think they're going to make a lot of other aggressive moves. And these things that have sort of held them in place, waiting for some of these young players to manifest, whether it's Glaber Torres as a defensive shortstop or Frazier or Andujar, that all goes away in the offseason. And I think it's hmm. like, never mind. Check, please. We're ready to like throw the put a bunch of chips into the table. Awesome. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all, but that's really saying something for an organization that has stayed behind all these guys through thick and thin, even when the public has been saying no to Sanchez and no to Torres and no to some of these other guys. This is, I think, the most interesting and pivotal offseason the Yankees have had in years. And the article you wrote on Sunday, I think, did a really nice job of detailing you know, some of the big questions that they have to answer. All right, Hembo. Great to talk with you. Thank you. Later, boys. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. In honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, ESPN Audio has put together a series of vignettes highlighting the next generation of Latin stars. Here's a piece on Wander Franco. ESPN celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month by taking a look at the next generation of Latino stars. Wander Franco arrived for his Major League Baseball debut in June, carrying himself like a superstar at just 20 years old. The Dominican lived up to the hype in his first game and set off on a dazzling campaign, setting a new franchise rookie record for consecutive games reaching base. While still a teenager, Franco earned the nickname El Patron. But in Tampa Bay, this rookie infielder is the future, inspiring great expectations for an organization looking to win its first World Series. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Lewis Adio Weiss writes in at Adio underscore Lewis zero zero. While he won't win with Otani and Guerrero pacing the race, but should Aaron Judge receive some AL MVP votes? Should the Yankees make the playoffs? He's on pace for about six baseball reference war and has a career low 25.4% strikeout rate. Yeah, I'll co-sign that. Otani and Vlad Jr. are going to finish 1-2 in the MVP race. Um, Who knows? Maybe uh, I'll be wrong and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will actually overtake Otani. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I think Aaron Judge right now is absolutely in the the, uh, driver's seat for number three in the American League. As Aaron Boone, you know, told us uh, as we got ready for a Sunday night game earlier this year, the fact that Judge has been able to be in the lineup every day and has been able to be on the field, he's gone next level this year. You know, he's had consistent work day in and day out, and he's been tremendous. I feel like we should give out awards for like the second tier of guys. Like we were talking right. to Adam Wayne right yesterday. We won't call them participation trophies. That would be mean, but maybe. Yeah, we- that, that, when you use that, I, that just made me cringe, <laughs> and I had to walk you back. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for keeping me in check. Maybe we'll do it uh, between the regular season and the postseason. That could be fun. Or whenever the awards are announced, excuse me. Yep. N- next up, let's go to Michael Preston at Mick KP 1979. Michael writes in Ryan Braun had a solid career, but do you think he is Hall of Fame worthy? If it is a close call, do you think his PED suspension would be the tipping point to keep him out? 
Uh, there's no chance at this moment that he's ever getting into the Hall of Fame because uh, there's a, this enormous block of writers who've decided that that can be disqualifying. Uh, we're seeing it play out with the Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens Hall of Fame candidacies. Uh, Ryan Braun ain't getting in if those two guys are getting in. And of course, I think the whole conversation is funny, Taylor, because we know that PD users have already been <laughs> inducted to the Hall of Fame. I find the whole thing of to be course. stupid. But until that changes, because Ryan Braun had such a public bust, uh, there's no chance he gets in. Mm, bummer, Ryan. Let's go to PK Steinberg at PK Steinberg. Our pal PK writes in, can you explain how run differential is remotely meaningful when you have Detroit at minus 57 runs with a record of 68 and 76 and Seattle at minus 56 with a record of 78 and 66? Does it come down to blowouts? Yeah, PK, I got to say, um, I understand your point. And you, you, I think that what front office people would tell you is that you chose a couple of outliers there. Because it's very funny when I talk to uh, general managers, people in front offices, they cite run differential all the time where they're like, well, you know, we're we're plus 50 uh, in the second half. And so that uh, is it for them a barometer in in some ways, even more a truer barometer than one loss record. Um, and I, I think they, they mention it all the time. I think that's how teams uh, assess themselves, how they evaluate themselves. Good stuff, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. My thanks today to Dave, to Hembo, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.